Today is June 15th, 2023. This is Everyone Has an Opinion. My name is Juan. Let's talk some boxing. Let's talk what's taking place in and around the lightweight division. We're coming off a fantastic performance from Tiafimo Lopez last Saturday when he defeated Josh Taylor for the Super Lightweight Championship at 140. And since then, and really leading up to that fight, Tiafimo Lopez has been in the news constantly. Before the fight, it was his mental status. It was the crazy and wild things he was saying. Then after the fight, people said, wow, Teofimo is really back. He had a brilliant performance against a game champion who was undefeated in Josh Taylor. And now, coming off the victory... Tio has popped up at the press conference of Earl Spence Jr. and Terrence Crawford. He was talking a lot of trash there, garnering a lot of attention, disrespecting his peers, just, you know, creating a buzz in the boxing world. And then the next day, he, today actually, he vacates his championship and has claimed the statements that he made directly after the fight or what he intends to do, and that is retire. Retire from the sport of boxing at the age of 25. What does that mean? I, for one, have several theories. But let me get this first statement out there. I do not believe Tiafimo Lopez is going to retire from the sport of boxing. As in, I don't think he's never fighting again. I just can't imagine that. But Tio has been so erratic and his career has been so bizarre that it wouldn't completely shock me, but I just think it's far-fetched. But let me get into the theories real quick. And I have a couple. One is this is a ploy for the divorce that is coming up with him and his ex-wife, or current wife, I guess, technically right now, where you go to court, and I don't know, the details, so I'm not going to get too into it. I'm not a lawyer. But I would imagine when you come to the table and you say, hey, I'm retired. I'm not making these huge paydays anymore. Here, look at this proof. I vacated my championship. I'm on several cameras and even on live television saying I'm going to retire. That's evidence that may, I don't, and again, I don't know for sure, may give him leverage in this divorce, whether it's for child support and things of that nature. That was my first thought. Second thought, and both of these could be true. Second thought is he's driving that price up. You also heard him talk about how he's underpaid, how he only got a million dollars for the fight against Josh Taylor, which I mean, a million dollars is a million dollars, but in comparison to what his peers are making, Tiafimo Lopez is at the bottom of the list when you talk about the likes of Ryan Garcia, Javante Tank Davis, Devin Haney, even George Cambosos has made more money than, than Tiafimo Lopez, Shakur Stevenson. All these guys are currently making more than Tiafimo Lopez. And Tiafimo can look at it and say, hey, look who I've beaten, look who they've beat. It's incomparable. He beat Loma first out of these guys. He's the first guy ever to beat Josh Taylor officially. 
He did it in two different weights. He's a champion in two different weights. Like by not just beating anyone for the championship, by beating the guys, the lineal champions of those weight classes. And those who don't understand lineage, it's just beating the guy that beat the guy. Josh Taylor is clearly the man at the weight. No one would dispute that. He was undisputed. He was only not undisputed because he vacated the championships. One of those championships were won by Rolly Romero. Another one was won by Subriel Matias. And the third championship that he vacated was won by Regis Progre. Regis Progre is easily the best fighter out of those three. And Josh Taylor has a victory over, you guessed it, Regis Progre. So there is no argument that Josh Taylor was the man at 140. Tio just beat him. That would make Tio the man inherently. That's not disputable. Is he undisputed in the fact that he has all the belts? No, technically not, because like I just said, Josh Taylor vacated them, so it wasn't possible for Tio to get them all. But when he says undisputed, there really isn't a dispute as to who is the guy at 140. He beat the guy. Like Ric Flair always said, to be the man, you've got to beat the man. And Tio has beaten the man two different times. Yes, he has the loss to Cambosos. That is why his career is so bizarre. But you have to give this dude credit. And that, to me, is why he's looking at the landscape and saying, hey, I'm making less than all these guys, even though I've done more as far as legacy, as far as competition goes. He has an argument there, and I think there's a real case to be made that he deserve. not only does he deserve the big money, they all deserve more money. At top rank, I mean. Tank is his own entity. Ryan Garcia, again, he's his own thing. He's on his own, golden boy. But top rank has a great crop of guys. And Gervonta Tank Davis is in a different universe. He is cash cow right now. Ryan Garcia is right there as well. But at top rank, they have the opportunity to lock up young, talented fighters in their prime in and around the same weight class. That's a rare thing to do, and I think ESPN needs to capitalize on this moment because it's not often you have this group right in front of you eager not only to make money, but to build their legacies and fight each other and prove who's the best. And while doing it, put on massive events. Top Rank needs to take advantage of this ASAP. They're on ESPN, the worldwide leader in sports. You know how many eyeballs are on ESPN? They have to spend the money and lock these guys up. Tio, Shakur, Devin Haney. You still have Loma. He's on the back end, so I won't count him in the young young crop. But you have Shakur, Tio, Haney, Keyshawn Davis is in there. Morataya coming up, making a name for himself. That's five guys right there you can mix and match for years to come. There's other young guys, but I just want to focus on the 135-slash-140-pound division. You have the opportunity to keep all of these guys. They're going to want to get paid. I think you pay them now. And Tiafimo Lopez could be the guy leading the way saying, hey, yes, I need more money. But when you pay me more money, you're going to have to pay them more money as well if you want to keep us. Devin Haney's a free agent. He doesn't have to re-sign with top rank. Tiafimo is threatening retirement. He doesn't have to come back and fight. 
Shakur Stevenson is making great money. He needs to get a big fight first, of course, but the potential's there. And it's all about marketing. People can say Tio hasn't sold much. That really isn't true. People forget the Lomachenko fight was in the pandemic era, so you couldn't sell any tickets to them. They, they had like a couple hundred people in the building, but you could they couldn't do a full audience. That hurt Tio. Another thing, the fight with Josh Taylor. Yeah, it was in the small room. It wasn't in the big room at MSG, but they sold it out. And not only did they sell it out, they set the attendance, not the attendance, they set the gate record. They sold all the tickets for, it was really a, an unreasonable price. That's actually why I didn't go, but they sold it out. They were selling those tickets at a high price. They were selling them like Tank Davis fights, really, $300 for just decent seats. But they sold it out. That shows people want to see top fights. They want to see Josh Taylor versus Tiafimo Lopez. The crowd was with Tiafimo Lopez. I get some people flew over from the UK to see Josh Taylor, but that was a majority crowd of Tio, as it should be, being in New York. The only reason they didn't book that fight in the big room is because it was already set aside for NHL playoffs and NBA playoffs and things like that. People can laugh, say, hey, the Knicks ain't making the finals. Yeah, but they still have to reserve the arena just in case one of their home teams made it that deep into the playoffs. That's not on Tiafimo Lopez. The promoter should put them in a different spot. They could have put them in Brooklyn. I don't know if Top Rank has any business with the Barclays Center. It feels like only PBC events take place there. Maybe they have the exclusive rights. I'd have to look into that. But if the Barclays was available, do this fight in Brooklyn. Do this fight at the Barclays. You'd sell more tickets, and we could really gauge what Tio can sell when he's in there with a good opponent. People said Devin Haney couldn't sell when he was in matchroom with the zone. They didn't do great numbers. It's all about promotion and where you put these events. The promoters have to promote the fights. The fighters, yeah, they can promote themselves, but you're paying a promoter. You're signed to a promoter. Promote fights better. Devin Haney comes over to, to top rank in ESPN, and he's treated like a king, and I'm sure that's why T.O. was criticizing it. But as they should, they treat top talent like top talent. They treated Devin Haney very well. Got him the Cambosis fight, put that on ESPN twice because the rematch had to take place in Australia where Cambosis obviously is a draw. And you have a packed crowd. You pop a huge rating on ESPN. It's a successful event. That sets up for Haney to get a pay-per-view event against Lomachenko, which also exceeded expectations, sold out, did good on pay-per-view, and really was the most successful pay-per-view event Top Rank had since they had Manny Pacquiao fighting for them. That shows when you put on these fights and you put them in the right location, that Loma Haney fight was in Vegas, they'll do great numbers. Tio did great numbers for where he was. He was in a small room, so you have a cap on the crowd. But the cap that they put on the crowd, not only did it sell out, but it had the most revenue for that little room of any boxing event. And then... Tia Fimo versus Josh Taylor was the highest viewed boxing event of the year so far. Second was Shakur Stevenson. So there you go right there. More evidence that they need to lock these guys up to contracts because you have Shakur and Haney, excuse me, Shakur and Tio leading the way so far in 2023. But you also had Haney 
with the most successful pay-per-view that Top Rank has produced in a very long time. The numbers back up. These guys need to be paid more and need to be locked into ESPN deals because the eyeballs are there to watch these fights. Make these fights happen. But yeah, I know that was long-winded. That's really my theory on it. It's either something to leverage for the divorce or leverage just to get paid. And not in a bad way. I mean, these are prize fighters. They should get paid. ESPN has is owned by Disney. I mean, they have endless amounts of revenue. They can invest in boxing more. And I think it'd be very smart, especially now in this climate, especially this year that we're having. Boxing's hot. Invest in it. Go all in on it. And these are the guys that can lead you to bigger and better things, not only for the sport, but for the network. You're doing great ratings with NBA and stuff like that. Boxing, at one point in this country, was leading the way on cable television. A lot of the great fights that you hear about were seen on regular television. Boxing can get back to that. They've done a great job recently, but I think they're kind of setting the bar low for themselves as, a, as an entire business. There's much more money to be made. And these are the guys, I'll continue to say it, these are the guys that can make it for you. So I think Tio really can shed some light on that. And I think that has a great possibility to happen. But again, that's just my theory. That's my opinion on it. Maybe the guy does retire. Maybe he's crazy out of his mind and has no idea what he's talking about. We'll see what happens. We just got to be patient. This guy hasn't even been out of the ring for a week. And we're already talking about retirement. So let's settle down. Let's see what he does in the next few months. And then we'll really get an answer on if he's retired or not. But as of now, he says he's vacating. He says he's retiring. But let's talk about the fight that took place in the ring. I thought it was a great performance. Um, Tiafimo Lopez just stuck to the game plan. He got his confidence in the middle rounds. Once a guy like Tio gets his confidence, it's over for you. It's over for you. Josh Taylor, I thought, came out strong in the first round. I thought he won the first round. But it seemed like his game plan was to break Tio down, and Tio just wasn't there for it. The body shots that Tio, I mean, that Taylor was trying to land, granted, he landed some, but a lot of the time, he's getting caught with counters. The left hook, which I mentioned in the preview, the left hook of Tio was absolutely brilliant. He was landing it at will. He was making Josh Taylor second guess everything he threw. And when that happens, that's when you know you are done. You are out of the fight. If you're second guessing every shot you throw, you have no confidence. You're not going to win a fight, especially against an athlete at the level of Tiafimo Lopez. Tio was faster. Tio had the better reflexes. Tio looked like he had the better power, which was crazy going in. We thought it was fairly even. This fight did not look even at all. You had a prime, young Tiafimo on his A game against a Josh Taylor that maybe stuck around a little bit too long at the weight. We don't know. But I thought he looked good early. I don't think he was washed up. I just think Styles make fights, and he was in there with an athlete that he didn't realize was as superior as he is. Tio's reflexes and his timing and it, the clean shots that he was landing was just too much for Josh Taylor. Josh Taylor didn't want to risk it. Josh Taylor 
people talk about the output saying, oh, maybe he's, he's getting old or whatever. Listen, the guy's not that old. I don't think it was that. I think it was literally when you're getting countered with clean power shots every time you try to do something, you're going to be hesitant. And Taylor was very hesitant, especially in that second half. He knew he had nothing for Tiafimo Lopez. It's a shame the scorecards were as close as they were because I didn't think this fight was close at all. I thought this was a route. I thought this was the best performance of Tio's career. Again, the left hook, the straight right hand. Um, he didn't even use the jab as much as I thought he needed to going into the fight. He proved me wrong there. He didn't need it as much as I thought. He didn't need to be as patient as I thought. He was just patient enough where he was letting Josh come to him and just catching him come in every time. Josh Taylor couldn't fight the entire fight on the inside. And when he tried to box from the outside, he just wasn't getting to T.O. quick enough. It's like his shots were telegraphed almost, even though they weren't. It's just that's how good T.O. was that night. He had the timing down to a science. Josh Taylor's jab could not land. Tio was moving out of the way of it brilliantly. He switched up his defensive stances so many times, throwing up X signs with his arms sometimes, kind of being like um, George Foreman-style defense where he crosses his arms. He was in the high guard. He was using the shoulder roll. He was switching it up like I said he needed to in the fight preview. Go back and listen to my keys to the victory for Teofimo Lopez. I said he had a clear path to victory if he was on his A game, and boy, was he ever on his A game. I did not expect this from Tio. I thought he would have a tough time with with Josh Taylor, especially in the early rounds. I thought it was going to be really rough for him, but he just didn't allow Josh to make it rough. Tia was ready for everything. Even on the inside, if Josh Taylor got on the inside, Tia was fighting very well with body shots, countering over the top with right hands. But Josh Taylor was rough at times, punching him while he was down, punching him on breaks, stuff like that. But that's expected with Josh Taylor. You have to expect the best and the worst from someone in a championship-level fight. Josh Taylor was willing to do anything to win, except go out on his shield. I thought he took his foot off the gas in the last few rounds. He wasn't willing to get knocked out in there. And I think that was the only chance he had at the end, was to stand there, trade with, with Tio, and try and land something big. He really wasn't willing to do that. Tio was chasing him around. Those 11 to 12 rounds were dominant by Tio, especially that 12th round. He was beating Josh Taylor's ass to a point I thought he was going to go down. Credit to him, though. He didn't go down. He's super tough. Great fighter still. But this just was a bad matchup for him at the bad time. And we didn't all see it coming. We just didn't. The majority of people picked Josh Taylor. I said the smart money. Well, I wouldn't say the smart money because I did bet on T.O. because of the odds. But I'm saying the smart pick. If say the odds were even, would have had to be on Josh Taylor because of the mental going in for T.O. and just how erratic he's been and coming off his last performance, even though Josh Taylor's last performance wasn't great either. But Josh, more comfortable at the weight, stronger on the inside. I thought T.O. was for sure going to have problems, but he didn't have any problem. Maybe, like I said, maybe in the first round he had a problem. T.O. dog-walked him. He was high-stepping at times in this fight. The confidence was just oozing off the camera, oozing off the screen, rather. And watching it the second time, too, it just it was a great performance. That's all I can say. Tiafimo Lopez needs the credit for that performance. I don't want to see people saying, oh, Josh Taylor was washed up. I knew it. Oh, yeah. Uh, all that time off the ring, I knew he was going to lose. No, we didn't know he was going to lose. 
Most people thought this was a 50-50 fight, and the majority picked Josh Taylor to win. Let's not rewrite history here and act like we all knew Tio was going to win, because we certainly didn't. Tio fought his ass off, had a great game plan. Shout out to his father, too. He said this a couple days before the fight. It was after I had already recorded, but I saw a conversation with Tio Sr. and Sean Porter, and that's when I was like, wow, if, if that is true, then Tio is going to win. But again, it's an interview. You can't always take everything as these fighters or trainers say as gospel. But when I heard that, I definitely had some confidence in Tio. Tio Sr. said, hey, we're going to box this guy. We're not going to go in there to kill him. We're going to box him. I realized I was taking things away from my son. I wasn't letting him be himself. I was forcing him to jab at times when it wasn't necessary. I was forcing him to be a certain way instead of being instinctive, instead of doing his own thing. I had a game plan for Vasily Lomachenko, and I thought I could implement that against other people. That was only a game plan for Lomachenko specifically. And once I let my son do what he wanted to do in sparring, he said, I noticed a huge difference. We're going to box this guy. He was talking to Sean Porter. He said, we're going to box this guy. And we're going to win. And after I win, I want to I want you to have me on your show so I can say I was right. <laughs> and hey, Tio Sr. was right. If he was wrong, we'd all be clowning him. Since he was right, got to give him his credit. We'll see what's next, though. Like I said, retirement, we don't know. But we'll see. Josh Taylor is probably moving up to 147. He conquered 140. He defended the belts a couple times and then lost to Tiafimo. So we'll see what's next for him. I think he can bounce back. I think he's still a really good fighter. That was just a tough matchup. Sticking with 140, Regis Progray returns this weekend. One of the best fighters at 140 pounds. He's a bad man. He's coming in there for the first time since winning the vacant title against Jose Zapata. Great performance in that fight. Regis Progray is fighting a replacement fighter here, but I still think this is a really good matchup. Regis is taking on Danielito Zarilla, Puerto Rican fighter, 17-1. His only loss is in his last, oh, excuse me, two fights ago. His only loss is against Arnold Barbosa. Arnold Barbosa is a really good fighter, 26-0. Listen, this is a stacked division. Zorilla is a quality fighter. Don't think that Regis is in here fighting some bum. This is tough. Zorilla isn't highly, highly skilled, but he does everything well, he's not a guy with gaping holes in his game. He's a guy, he has some pop, 13 KOs and 17 wins. He's extremely durable. He's never been stopped. He took a lot of punishment in that Barboza fight, but he gave it out as well. He didn't win the fight, but he was competitive. He was there. He's not a guy that throws a ton of punches in a fight or even per round. But when he lets his hands go, he throws combinations. What I mean by that is he may not throw 100 punches around, but when he lets his hands go, he's throwing in combos. He's not throwing pot shots, one shot at a time, jab here, jab here. No, he's throwing three, four punches at once. He'll get you in an exchange, and he may not land every punch, but when he lands, he can do some damage. He can, he can back you up a little bit. I just think Regis is at a different level. Regis is an elite fighter. So Rill is a good fighter. Progray is elite, and I think we'll see the difference between elite and good. Progray dips really low at times. He's already a short guy, but 
the way he bends his waist to me is extremely useful. It's, it's tough to time him. He's shifting in and out, not necessarily with his feet, but just with his upper body movement, twisting his body one way, twisting it the other way. He's constantly moving his hands. Even when he's not throwing a punch, he's moving his hands a lot to distract you, to, to disrupt the timing. Regis is a difficult fighter, not to mention he's a southpaw as well. He could beat you many different ways. Regis sometimes fight like he's fights like he's in the street, just looking like, okay, this guy's kind of weird. He's not really, doesn't look like the most technical, but don't be fooled. He actually is very technical. He can also beat you with just a jab, but then he does get into a brawl type situation where he's throwing these wide punches, these wild punches, these overhand lefts. He can hit you from all angles. He'll get up on you. He'll get up on the left side of your shoulder. He'll get up on the right side of your shoulder. He'll get inside on you, pounding your body. Well, versatile fighter here is reached pro grade. And the power to go with it is the big issue. Does he stop Zarilla? That would be something. Like I said, Zarilla only has one loss. And it was a distance battle with Barbosa. But Regis Progre isn't Barbosa. Regis Progre, 28-1, 24 wins by KO. His only loss is a disputed one, a very close fight with Josh Taylor. This guy has wins over Ndongo, Joel Diaz. He's got wins over Jose Zapata. He made it to the finals of the World Boxing Super Series. And of course, that's where he fought Josh Taylor in their battle, classic fight between the two of them. So Regis is battle tested. He's at the point of his career where he's willing to make big fights for big money. I think this is kind of just an introduction fight to DAZN, his first fight on DAZN as an official member of Matchroom. He has fought on DAZN before, but not signed under Matchroom. So this is his introduction to the network, really. And it's a hometown fight for him. It's in New Orleans. But this isn't a bum fight. This is a tough fighter. Regis is going to have to be on his A game. I think he will be. I think the potential for the stoppage is there. Because Zorillo, like I said, he's a warrior. He's going to he's gonna exchange with you. He's not just going to back up. He's not just going to give up. He's going to go out on his shield if need be. So I think Regis needs to be on point. I think he will. I think Regis wins this fight by a wide majority decision, if not a late stoppage. But I don't see Regis losing this fight by any means. Zorillo's a good fighter. I expect him to show that. But like I said, difference between good and elite. Expect a good one. This fight is on DAZN Saturday night, but it's not the only fight. We also have Tim Zhu. He's returning to action. This dude has been active. He could easily sit on the couch and just wait for the fight against Jamel Charlo for Undisputed. He's not taking that route. He fought Tony Harrison in March, and now he's right back in the ring against Carlos Ocampo. Carlos Ocampo is a decent fighter. I'm not going to disrespect him. He's solid. I mean, his only two losses are Earl Spence, which was a one-round barn burner until it was over, and the distance with Sebastian Fundora. He went in there with Fundora, and he gave him everything he could handle. He didn't win the fight or anything like that, but kind of like Zarilla, he's tough. I think is a step above Ocampo, really, skill-wise, but Ocampo is going to be there to bring action. It's going to be entertaining. I don't think it's just going to be a cakewalk, but maybe it is. Tim Zhu has surprised me before. 
He surprised me against Tony Harrison. Tim Zhu, 22-0, undefeated, strong Australian fighter who's coming for Jamel Charlo. He's making it a mission, and he's not sitting back and waiting, like I just said. He's putting in work. He's staying active. He wants to be at his sharpest for when Jamel Charlo finally returns to the ring to challenge him, or for Tim Zhu to challenge Charlo, rather. Tim Zhu is a big, strong guy. I would say basic. When I say basic, I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. His style is basic, but it's extremely effective. He breaks you down. He comes forward and just pounds the body and looks for big power shots. Simple as that. He's not too flashy. He doesn't do anything that you'd show on a highlight reel and say, well, that's amazing. But when he beats people up, it's amazing. It's it's vicious. It's calculated. It's strong and sturdy is how I would describe his style. Not finesse, power, and efficiency. That is the way to describe Tim Zhu. He's not going to do anything out of the ordinary. But he is going to hurt you, and he's going to get you in a position where he can pin you up against the ropes. And this is interesting because Ocampo is a guy that likes to get really close to you too. He likes to lean on you a little bit. So this could be a real fun fight on the inside between the two guys. But my money is on Tim Zhu especially with all that's at stake. I think he's just at his best. There's a little nick on the radar, though, when you think about this fight, is because Tim Zhu made headlines recently for being at a cookout, a friend's house, I guess, and got bit by a dog. And this bite wasn't some little, like, I have a couple of dachshunds. They bite you. They might leave a little mark. No, this dog, it might have been a pit bull. I don't even know. This dog tore... Tim Zhu in his forearm all the way up. I think he had something like 28 stitches. And there's a photo going around of the gash. It's a bad cut. It's a bad, it's a bad gash in his arm. I don't know how much that affected his training. But like I said, he did get a bunch of stitches. And this happened pretty recently. This happened maybe a week and a half, two weeks ago. Like this just happened. So I don't know what effect that's going to have on the fight. Hopefully Tim Zhu's good to go. His trainer... Made comments just saying how tough he is, how dedicated he is. He had no interest in rescheduling this fight. He is good to go. That is on Saturday. That is on Showtime. Showtime International. They've done this before. They did this with the Tony Harrison fight where Tim Zhu stopped Harrison. This fight is the main event. But, of course, we have to talk about the co-main. This is, again, just, just two fights that are going to air on Showtime. And that's Rice Alim against Sam Goodman. Raiz Alim, to me, has always been one of my favorite bantamweights out there. I'm loving this opportunity for him on this card. This is a good fight. Sam Goodman undefeated. Raiz Alim, 20-0 himself. This is a good one. I always said Alim can compete with Stephen Fulton, with Nalia Inouye. Can he beat them? I don't know. But I think he's on that level where he is a solid test for anybody and I don't think anyone's just walking over Raiz Salim. Raiz Salim can do it all. As far as Super Bantamweight goes, he is the cream of the crop. I would love to see him get that matchup. But at first, he has to get by Sam Goodman. This is just going to be an excellent matchup of pure skill on both ends. Sam Goodman is a slick fighter. He's great defensively. 
but he can mix it up on the inside too. He's he's very versatile. I think both of these guys are just super versatile. They can do a ton of different things in there. That's why I think this is such a good matchup. This is easily the fight of the weekend. It's flying under the radar. Pay attention to this fight. Huge implications. Like I said, the winner of this fight will be right there for the winner of Fulton versus Inouye. This fight matters for sure. Pay attention to it. I'm leaning Alim. I like Alim. But Goodman is no pushover. Goodman is going to be there to win. Both these guys unbeaten. Both these guys understand what's at stake. And they're on a good stage here. Tim Zhu brings out the Australians. That's going to be a packed crowd. And this co-main is going to set it up. I expect a fun fight here. I'm going with Alim in a highly competitive, close decision win. That, of course, is on Showtime. That'll be one of the two fights they show. That is probably around 11 o'clock Eastern. It's late because they're in Australia. It'll be Sunday afternoon to them, Saturday night for us. And then, of course, the Regis program match I mentioned earlier, that is on DAZN. That should be earlier. So should be able to see all three of these fights without them running into each other, which is refreshing because a lot of times in boxing, you have fights go head-to-head. Last week, we had a little bit of overlap with the Tiafimo Lopez-Josh Taylor fight and the Jaime Munguia and Sergey Dervinchenko fight. That fight was excellent. Going into that fight, I thought Dervinchenko was going to get smoked. I thought he had been in too many wars. He's moving up. Munguia is a huge power puncher. He's going to tear this dude up. That didn't happen. It was extremely competitive. I didn't score it personally. But I thought it could have went either way. Munguia had the stoppage, I mean, excuse me, the knockdown late. That seemed like that actually led to the victory. That's how close the fight was. Many people had Dervinchenko. A friend of mine said he thought Dervinchenko kind of got robbed. And hey, like I said, I didn't score it, so I can't really say, but I thought it was a fantastic fight. Definitely go back and watch it if you haven't. That is on DAZN. That fight was under the radar. But what I really took away from it was, yes, Dervinchenko did have um, a lot left. He gave it his all. He fought a hell of a fight. But to me, it also told me a lot about Jaime Munguia and that this dude isn't improving. I'm sorry. He's just not. He's a good fighter. He brings all action. He brings a crowd, which is extremely important. He's going to sell out whatever um, venues in California that he's been fighting in. He's a draw for sure. And he has the power. He's all action. He's fun to watch. But I just can't see him beating the upper echelon, especially at 168. I mean, there's just too much talent in there. you got Canelo. You have Caleb Plant. You have David Benavidez, David Morrell, Boo Boo Andrade, Jamal Charlo, if he moves up. Like, that's just six guys right there that I think smoke Jaime Munguia. And I mean, beat him bad. I don't see any of these dudes losing to Jaime Munguia. Jaime Munguia has over 40 professional fights. One of the most padded records in the history of the sport, as far as I'm concerned, when you talk about how many wins he has and how many losses he has. I mean, 40, what is it, 44? I don't even want to look at his record right now. It's over 40 fights, but he's not fighting anybody. And granted, I was wrong about Dervinchenko. Yeah, I'll give him that credit. Great fight. Good win for him. But you fought a guy who's aging, who's moving up. I'm just not overly impressed with the performance. As far as the fight from an entertainment standpoint, it's through the roof. It's off the charts. It's something you could show someone who doesn't really watch boxing and wants to be entertained. 
You can say, hey, look at this fight. This is awesome. But I just don't see him beating any top elite talent. Just my opinion. Let me know what you guys think. Speaking of 168 pounds, it seems like there's a lot of movement going on. A lot of rumors and stuff like that. But I feel like either way you slice it, we're going to get some great matchups. We just have to be patient and wait for them to be announced. If I had to guess, based on the reports that came out today with Canelo and Charlo and what we've heard from Benavides' camp and Caleb Plant, the tweet that he put out, it sounds, and this isn't 100%, but it sounds like we're going to get the following matchups. David Benavides versus David Morrell. Canelo Alvarez versus Jamal Charlo. And Caleb Plant versus Demetrius Andrade. If that's true, we get these three fights this year. It's just cementing that this is the best year in decades. Like, wow, if we're going to get blessed with all three of these fights, amazing. And I say these three fights if you haven't been paying attention because today it was announced Canelo Alvarez will be fighting Jamal Charlo, but we didn't get a date. We didn't get a venue. We didn't get any confirmation from the two fighters. So you never know with things like that. We don't know. I mean, it could be true. Could be a rumor. Could not be finalized. But that's what they're saying. And I'm going to go with that right now. And then you also have David Benavidez's manager, who was on record saying, oh, yeah, we're fighting David Morrell next. Uh, there's already a contract. So we're just waiting on an announcement for that, an official announcement. And then the reason I say Caleb Plant, Boo Boo Andrade, is because Caleb Plant recently tweeted out, Back in another big fight, going right into the deep end. That tells me, if you're having a big fight in your weight class, and you have the other four that I just mentioned all tied up with each other, the only other opponent out there that could be a big fight is Boo Boo. But again, that's me predicting. That's me saying that's what I think is going to happen. There's been contradicting stories. I've heard rumors of Charlo Boo Boo. We saw Charlo and Boo Boo Andrade on Instagram Live with each other today. Like literally within the last hour that I'm recording this. So we're just going to have to wait and see. But I think either way, like I said, either way you slice it, it looks like we're going to get some fantastic matchups at 168 pounds. And it's about time. And it's all started off this year with Caleb Plant taking on David Benavidez. Everyone else is saying, hey, we got to continue this ride at 168. Canelo's the king. Well, we don't have to wait for Canelo to make good fights. If Canelo wants to fight one of us, great. But the rest of these guys can make fantastic matchups amongst themselves. I'm here for it. What I'm also here for is the lightweights and whatever Devin Haney's going to do. Is he going to stay at lightweight or is he going to move up? I'm tired of guys trashing the fighters that are actually doing things. Devin Haney's one of the guys that's doing things. Look at his resume. He's fighting the best available consecutively. Jojo Diaz, Jorge Linares, Cambosos twice, and then Vasily Lomachenko. That's a great four-fight run right there for Devin Haney. Not too many currently are matching it. That's just the facts. Look at who these guys are fighting. They're not consistently stepping up like Devin Haney is, so I don't want to hear about Shakur Stevenson sending bottles his way, saying sign the contract. Listen, 
What did Jay-Z say? We don't believe you. You need more people. We don't believe you, Shakur Stevenson. Unless you're a diehard Shakur Stevenson fan, nobody's believing this. This is 2023. This is the social media era. You want to prove something? You want to call someone out? Post a contract. You don't have to post the details or the prices or anything like that, but post parts of the contract. Blur out the, the purses and things like that, the personal information. Post it as a contract. Let's see it. We don't believe it. Because Devin Haney and his father had just had a meeting with Bob Arum. It was documented. They had a dinner together. There was a picture put out there. Bill Haney, Bob Arum discussing business. And according to Devin Haney, Bob Arum didn't mention Shakur Stevenson. Shakur has all this faith in himself, and I believe it. He's very um, confident in himself, as he should be. He's highly, highly skilled. He's an excellent fighter. Could probably beat anybody. But he could also lose to some of these guys. We don't know because we haven't seen the fights. But I'm saying his team may not believe in him as much as he believes in himself. They might not have the budget either. Because this guy's getting a lot of money. Maybe they don't have the budget to put him in there with these other guys. We don't know the facts. But we do know that they act like this guy is so avoided and so ducked. And nobody calls him out. That's simply not true. A quick Google search will tell you Edwin De Los Santos has called Shakur Stevenson out multiple times on Instagram, on Twitter, on podcasts. Edwin De Los Santos has been saying your name. Edwin De Los Santos isn't the best fighter in the world. I'm not saying he's just going to wash Shakur Stevenson, but I am saying he's a quality fighter with real power, and I don't think guys are jumping in line to fight him. Shakur said, oh, well, yeah, if I beat him, y'all going to say he's a bum. No, we're not. Go fight him. Go beat him. Go fight Ray Marathaya. Go fight one of these top guys. Any of them. Frank Martin. Any of them. Shut us up. Because Shakur Stevenson has won more fantasy fights than anyone I've seen on boxing Twitter. Anyone. And we talk about all kind of fighters on Twitter. Anyone who's on Twitter actively in the boxing world, you know. We'll talk about freaking... Mario Barrios, he was just brought up like four days in a row on a space on Twitter. Like, and Mario, no disrespect to Barrios, he's a good fighter, but that just shows we'll talk about anybody. But Shakur Stevenson always wins these fantasy matchups for some reason. He always gets the benefit of that. Oh, who wins? Manny Pacquiao with Shakur Stevenson. We saw people picking Shakur Stevenson. Like, yeah, he wins all the all the fake fights. All the fights that we make up in our head, Shakur Stevenson somehow wins them all. Well, let's see him win some real fights. Let's see him win some actual fights. Because other guys are winning them. Shakur has a good win against Jamel Herring. Shakur has a good win against Joette Gonzalez. Those, to me, are his best wins. Oscar Valdez was never, ever going to beat Shakur or be competitive with him. Go back and check my breakdown. I knew he was going to smoke him. He's a one-trick pony with a left hook who is short for the division. He's small. He has slow feet. He was on PEDs. Like, that win isn't really anything to me. I'm sorry. That guy has been in a lot of wars, too. I never thought he would even be remotely competitive with Shakur Stevenson. I don't give any credit for that win. That win isn't anything to me. Fight someone real. Fight someone with athleticism. Because I haven't seen that either. I want to see these matchups. Again, I'm not bashing Shakur. Shakur's a great fighter. But we need to see him in there with other guys before we just crown him. Oh, he's the best by far. He's the best. No, 
You're not because you're not proving it. Devin Haney, proven it. Tiafimo, proven it. Javante Davis, you can question some things he's done, but for the most part, especially recently, he's been proving it. Shakur fighting Yoshino, eh, that doesn't mean anything to me. If you're if you at home listening to this and you're impressed by that, that's on you. Me personally, I'm not impressed by it. Not one bit. I expect more. I think these young guys have potential to be great. Like I mentioned before, the T.O. and Taylor fight. Guys want to be great, be great. People talk about Jamel Charlo, or Jamal Charlo, rather. Jamel, undisputed, one of the best fighters on the planet. Jamal hasn't fought in two years. There's a difference. Hasn't fought in two years. He's rumored for the Canelo fight. And I know I'm kind of going off on a tangent here. He's not as young as the other guys, but I'm just saying. We talk about greatness a lot. If Jamal is as great as we think he is, he goes out there and he beats Canelo. Two years off or not. No excuses. Guy's been in the gym. Guy's not out of shape or anything. Guy didn't have any major injuries. He's just been out the ring. Dealing with some personal stuff. Dealing with his kids. Getting custody and stuff like that. He's in shape. Go out there and win the fight. Or if you don't win, go out there and have a hell of a performance. Go out there and be known as, listen, I'm Jamal Charlo. I'm one of the best fighters on the planet. Go out there and prove it. Because two years out the ring... I mean, yeah, that's not ideal. And of course, you'd rather be coming off a great victory and looking your best and things like that. Hey, life isn't perfect. When you have an opportunity knocking, you have to take advantage of it. No excuses. The greats do great things. Sugar Ray Leonard, three years out the ring. Eye surgery. Moves up in weight. Defeats the dominant, bigger champion in Marvin Hagler. Hell of a fight. Hell of a performance. Legendary status. Jamal Charlo has the opportunity to come in off a two-year absence. No eye surgery. No surgery whatsoever. Go out there and beat Canelo Alvarez. That is is how he can cement his legacy. Shakur Stevenson can cement his legacy by fighting some real fights. Tank Davis can cement his legacy by coming out of jail, challenging Devin Haney, challenging Shakur, challenging Tio, challenging one of these killers. And then, of course, Haney and Tio, they're on their way. They have incredible wins, and they're doing it on a consistent basis. So I have no reason to knock them to at all. But yeah, that's my little rant there. Just want to see great fighters do great things. I want to see great talent prove it in the ring. 2023 has been an amazing year. Guys are proving it. And they're going to continue to prove it based on the schedule that we have for the remainder of the year. It's an exciting time to be a boxing fan. I'm all fired up for it. I cannot wait. Thank you guys for listening. Don't forget, Regis Progray on his own. Tim Zhu. On Showtime, tune in. Thank you guys for listening. Tell a friend, tell a friend, give me that five star review. Enjoy the fights. I'm out.